Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, so I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with me today, I have Mark Lyon from GTO Engineer, Engineering. Sorry. Hi, hi, Mark. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Can you, can you tell the listeners a little bit about sort of who you are and what you do? Yeah, so basically I started off as a, um, an engineer, did a college course, um, got my qualifications and then did an apprenticeship at DK Engineering, oh, okay. and um, I worked there for a few years, and uh, very interesting times. This was probably the very late seventies, early eighties, and um, then I went to work in London for Straight Eight, which was owned by Danny Donovan, who's uh, a great guy, and um, I was there for a few years, and then I was asked to go back to DK by. David Cottingham, who's the, who was and is the boss there. And uh, I have very, very happy memories of working there. Um, fantastic team. The the guys there were all pretty much all still friends today. Um, some of them work here. And um, we restored, I would say, probably some of the world's very best cars. We, we restored three long-nosed D-types. We restored you know, 375 pluses, multiple Testarossas, GTOs, a lot of GTOs, um, many, many short wheelbases. It was a very special time. Cars were still being found in boxes then <laughs> that had been neglected and put in someone's barn and then, then the guy dies or whatever happens. And Does that happen like a surprisingly <clears throat> often? Not like now, that? not now. But then, yeah, we were buying, I mean, David was fantastic. He was buying cars from everywhere and he travelled a lot and he was really you know, daring and what he did in the sense that he was he was buying things that no one else really wanted to touch. And we were tasked as, as a workshop with, with putting them back together and making them into a, an entity again. And um, 
then we then we had the fun of road testing them. And in those days, you know, there was no mobile phones, and we were just like two of us used to go out at night. We used to use, used to start at three or four in the morning and just drive until seven or eight, and we did that all the time. I mean, it was just great fun. Amazing. Um, and um, <clears throat> yeah, we, there's lots of stories from those years. And then I I I left I left DK in, in the early nineties and set up at my at my house actually in a small garage in my house, <clears throat> just doing engines and gearboxes and axles mainly for DK actually because we we remained friends and um, it was a kind of hard work, not much fun time. I mean, it was good fun. The work was fun, but it was you know I was I had no money and. You know, it was, it was hard to do anything. But then I, I got premises in Harrow, Central Harrow, um, actually very lovely premises, which my brother owns, and he, he said, well, do you want to share them with me? And I was like, yeah, that's fantastic. Then I took on my first couple of staff, amongst them Kevin Jones. He was the first guy to come and work for me. He still works for me today. Um, he worked at DK as well. So we've, we've, we've been working together since about 1987, 88. Yeah. And... Um, he, um, his son now works for me too, but we had a lot of fun in Harrow. It was very, very overcrowded premises. There were tiny premises, but we had a lot of fun there. Uh, we worked for some of the best historic racers, some of the some of the great cars. We did a lot of Bizzarinis. We did, you know, sports prototype cars. We did a lot of Ferraris, of course, as well. And then we moved. We, then we had an, an offer from Tony Merrick, who you know I don't know if anyone knows who he is, but he's a very, very well-known historic racer who had a fantastic business, and he said, do you want to take over my business? And it was a real privilege. It was a real compliment to me. I felt very extremely, you know, fortunate to have been offered this opportunity. So we came down to, to Berkshire and took over his business and all his staff and all his customers. It took a while to work out the deal, as these things do. Tony stayed on with me for a while um, as a consultant, and... Um, so we were then in Hare Hatch, which is just up the road from where we are now, for, for 13 years, in a beautiful farmhouse. Um, it was a really lovely place. And um, we, we grew very significantly in, in, that, in those premises. Um, <clears throat> we started the parts department. We, you know, we, we, we became kind of what we are today, which is nothing particularly to be proud of, but it's just, you know, it was a, it was a, a real process yeah. and a journey. Um, and we, we, we got up to quite a few staff there. I think we were probably 30 staff there. It was a very, it was quite, I mean, they weren't small premises, but they were, you know, we were very, we were very much constrained by the premises size. Yeah. And then we finally managed to find these premises where we are now, which we bought four years ago. And um, we've now got planning permission to build a big unit here. So we're, yeah, we're, we're going forwards. We, we're also open Los Angeles. We opened Atlanta first. Um, which was just a parts operation, um, which was very successful. But unfortunately, or very sadly, the guy who worked for me there died, and um, so we 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 had to um, we, we didn't have to, but we decided to close that place, and we we went to LA. So we we just got the operation in Los Angeles now, um, which which operates very well. I've got a good manager there; it's a lady actually, good staff, loyal staff. So yeah, and then. Here we are here today, and we're we're now we've got a big parts business. I, I guess it's about a third of our revenue. Restoration service business is is, is kind of steady, yeah. and the recreational revival business is is 
is growing. Yeah. That initial point when you started making parts, what what sort of spurred you on to start doing that? Was it just, yeah, where did it come from? You, you, we started a parts department by accident. So, so what happens is you're restoring old Ferraris and you've got a car you're restoring and you need a part but you haven't got it. You, know, you can't find it. No one's got it. Yeah. So you, so you go and make one. But when you're making one, you kind of go, well, actually, I might as well make three because it's not much more expensive. Yeah. And so we did that. <clears throat> and then, of course, then you think, well, I need to sell the other two. And it's just kind of, it just happened like that. And then we 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 quite enjoyed it, actually. I, I enjoy parts. I enjoy the manufacturing process. So we <clears throat> we just started making parts and we were we, we, it was actually quite a good profit return on it because if you're making bits that nobody's got and nobody particularly knows how much they should cost to make, yeah. you can actually command a decent price. So we, we worked out, you know, that it was a, it was quite a good business model. So I started doing that with actually at the time it was my engine shop guy in uh, back in Scarlet's farm and he was really good. Um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but he, he was um, <clears throat> he helped me a lot. And then we, we took on our first parts guy who's actually just retired and he worked in a tiny little office with with very little kind of stock or facilities but we made a go of it and um then my son joined Vern, Vern joined and he he's he really drove the thing forwards and we've now got we've now got 10 full-time people in parts which is really I mean I I love the parts business it's we're doing Ferrari parts we're going to do Maserati and Lamborghini shortly um we're, we're looking at extending our website to include those things so yeah it's it's a very exciting business to be in and you know, the whole manufacturing process is just such fun yeah how has that changed from the beginning and as well i imagine when you first started when you're trying to get parts like you didn't have the internet wasn't really there was it, it was, <clears throat> no not really so like you just like you've got to find someone that knows someone that can get you parts i think what happened early on was was that I travelled a lot, and I used to just go and buy big stashes of parts. People people collect parts; they they like them. Mm. So people have got cars, maybe, and they, maybe they've got a workshop, or maybe they've just got cars, and they think, "Oh, I'll, I'll I'll buy an extra one of those." They're usually people, you know, wealthy people. So, but then they get old, or or they decide they want to do something different, and so we were just going and buying parts everywhere. And I've still got lots of them today. I mean, some of them stuff, you know, when you buy a whole load of parts, you probably sell 20% of them. Yeah. Um, and we've got some wonderful old parts that are lovely to look at, but I don't know what I'm going to do with them, you know, one day, but I suppose I'll sell a stash of parts. But it's, um, so we were buying old parts, but as as time went on, less and less and less became available. So we started making more and more parts. So, you know, we are... We now obviously make the whole 250 short wheelbase and we make lots of parts for lots of Ferraris and, and other cars, but mostly Ferraris. So, yeah, that's that's the way it's progressed and it's been very organic. It hasn't been sort of anything very clever about it. It was just, just happened. Yeah, just grown. And then at the beginning, <clears throat> presumably the processes for making these parts has changed quite a lot since the beginning. Yeah, I mean, when we started, we were we were kind of doing rough sketches on you know on paper and we did get parts drawn 
usually, not usually, but always by a third party in those days. And, you know, some of the early days of CAD, we got people to do stuff for us. But about five years ago, we decided that we, we made a sort of kind of policy decision, or we want to call it, where we were going to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to actually draw everything we make. Yeah. And, and then we can draw it, we can make it, and then we can check the item against the, the, the drawing when it's actually physically made. We also do that for, even for outsourced parts. So when, when we get a subcontractor to make something, we will still have a drawing for it, which we'll check against. It's quite cumbersome, but it's so much better. Yeah. I imagine like the, the end result is so much better. Oh, yeah. It's a different world. And, you know, obviously technology has moved on and everything's become much more possible. We've also sourced a lot of old Ferrari drawings. We bought a company called FIM, which is a FIM, which is a radiator oil cooler company that made all of Ferrari's fuel tanks, oil tanks, oil coolers, water radiators, all those things from about 1948 to 1995. And we've got all the drawings for that. So we can reproduce all that stuff quite simply. We've also got some... Some good contacts in in Italy where we can we can we've got a lot of original Ferrari drawings which for a long time are very hard to get but have got easier to get. We also make parts for Ferrari, so we you know we we need the information sometimes to make a bit that they need. And what might they like? What might they ask you for? Or just is it literally now just any parts for whatever two fifty or something? Yeah, it's it's only we don't we don't make any body parts. It's only mechanical parts and. Usually it's through a third party because of the way the politics in Italy yeah. work, which is, you know, it's just fine. I mean, you just, you just kind of get over that. But, um, yeah, I mean, we make crate shafts for them. We, you know, we make conrods and, yeah, lots of lots of various pieces. We sell a lot of parts to Italy. We don't always know where they're going to go. Yeah. But we just sell them to Italy. And then, and then so at some point in time, you decided to assemble all of the parts you've got together to make your sort of own car or it's not, it is an exact replica. Is that the best way of describing it? How would you describe your 250? Yes, no, we, we, we started off trying to make a, what what is known in the trade as a tool room copy. Um, we have since done a few extras and a few sort of deviations from that. Yeah. At customers' requests, <clears throat> we, we started that because, I mean, you know, it's one of those things now you look back at it and go, how crazy was that? But we, we in 2008, when, you know, the world was really upside down financially, I mean, you know, I know it's bad today, but 2008 yeah. was, was, was horrendous. And and I'd been through a couple of recessions before, and I said to the boys in the workshop, I said, look, we we need to find something to keep ourselves busy this year because we, we, we're going to be quiet. It's not because people run out of money. People just sit on their hands and do nothing for a year. Yeah. I don't need to, they're, 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 it's just the way it is. So I said to the lads, well, what about making our own car? And, and, and of course the boys were like, that's just great fun, let's just do this. <laughs> yeah. So so we started in 2008, which, which you know, was, was a pretty insane thing to do, but we we began then and we didn't know if we'd make two or four or six or, you know, we had no idea. Yeah. Um, we were, there was no business plan to it, it was just like, let's do it. And... Um, so we started making in 2008. We, it probably took us two years to make our first car. 
we started off with the 250 GTE chassis and we thought, oh, we'll just carve this up and put this there and change that. And we, we worked on it for a week and I said to the boys, I said, nah, this is not, forget it, I hate this. This process is wrong. We need to make a whole new chassis because we're just, we're making something that is intrinsically unsafe and it's a lot of work for a bad product. Yeah. So we went and made a completely new chassis we were very, very fortunate that we, we you know, we'd worked on probably, <clears throat> I don't know, getting on for half of the real cars yeah. over the over many years. And you know, looking back at it, I wish we'd taken more measurements and photos than we did. But you know, so we we knew a lot about the cars. It was like we, we kind of knew if something was right or wrong. And um, so we we drew we drew a chassis up, put it into CAD, and. We started making chassis. We made the first one ourselves, a um, lot of handwork, but now we, we've got a company that does it with us because we still have to have some input even now. And then we made, you know, we made chassis. We, then we made, you know, we made, we made a buck. Um, we started making bodies. <clears throat> and and at that time, you could still buy quite a few parts, actually, even, okay. even, even in 2008. But now we make pretty much everything because everything's become unavailable yeah and I'm yeah. presumably every time you get your hands on something that you've not designed and rebuilt you're like okay we'll, we'll take that part we'll scan it we'll draw it out and then yeah. we can make it um, so with those early cars was that customers coming to you to say will you make one or did you you were like let's make one and then it's very hard to sell something you haven't got yeah you know if you if you if you if you're gonna, if you say to someone, if you've never made a car, and you say I'm gonna make a car, can you buy it? That's quite hard. <clears throat> we were very, very fortunate. We we did have a couple of good clients who said, yeah, we'll put some a bit of a bit of money up. We sold the first three cars so cheaply because we needed to to just get the ball rolling. Yeah. But yeah, that people did put money up for cars, which when there wasn't a car there, which even now surprises me. But. Um, and then, and then, you know, after that, we just started selling them. And, you know, it's, um, we sold a lot of cars now. I'm not saying it's, it's an easy market, but it's, you know, it's, we made it work. Yeah. And what are most people, like, of your buyers for those cars? Are they, I presume, a percentage of some people that have real ones as well? Yeah. And then, well, how does that work out? Like, who's, you know, who's buying a 250 short wheelbase that is a 250 short wheelbase but isn't, but is, but isn't? I don't know. It's, it's a weird, but who, who, you know, who's coming and who's buying those cars? I think it is people who've got real cars. It's also a lot of people who've maybe had a real car many years okay, ago. Yeah. Would love to have one again, but now the prices are so high that they think, oh, I'll do this instead. Yeah. It's also, there's, there's quite a few people who like to have a lot of cars. Right. You know, we sell to people who've got maybe 50, 60, 70 cars. They don't want to have one car that is really, really expensive. Yeah. It's actually a very mixed demographic of the people who buy the cars. You know, there's everything from, from young guys to, to, to quite old guys and everything in between. Yeah, it's a really, I mean... Having just been out and driven the sort of the short wheelbase is sort of a competition you spec. 
that one. I, after about 10 minutes, I sort of warmed up and then I'd really sort of like revved it out. Oh my God, I just had to sort of like, I, I, I drove for about five minutes and then just like pulled over. I had like a bit of a moment, just like what, what is going on here? How are we? Yesterday I went and drove it brand new Ferrari F8 and I've come here today and I've driven this old Ferrari and it was like a million times better. It was just, it was what cars are all about. And for me, yeah, it's quirky seating position and your knees are slightly out of the way and the steering wheel's a bit different and, and like, it's an older car, but the way the engine like revs and delivers that noise it's just unbelievable. It's just something else. Yeah. And I can totally see why, like you said, if, if you know, maybe you could afford to buy one, of a, a real one. I don't even know what they cost now. What, what does a, a real one cost? A steel car is about six million. Comp alley car can be anything up to 20. Yeah. So I could see why you go, I don't necessarily want to drive a, 10 million pound car around even if you can afford to buy one or whatever you might go i can have exactly the same experience and it's not it's not it is exactly the same experience other than the the value kudos whatever insurance bill like yeah totally yeah get it wow it's amazing you you saw me when i came back in yeah i'm just like you're like you look a bit hot and i was like okay i was a bit hot but like just like I couldn't really describe it. It was just, it was such a weird, it was like a really life-changing drive for me. Yeah. And I've driven a lot of stuff, but I've not driven something with that engine in that sort of format. It's just something else. So anyway, yeah, it's like, a, it's a pretty cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we drive obviously a lot of cars here and, and you know, there's some high, there's always some high spots of cars and, you know, I still enjoy getting in one and, and just having a blast. It's, it's just great. And when you... Okay, so <clears throat> so I've not driven any of the other cars with that engine or similar engine. And how would you say that experience differs amongst the other cars that are sort of similar? So the Testarossa, which we also make, is it's, it's obviously an open car. Yeah. And, and I like open cars. I mean, I, I've always liked open cars and, and they're... They're, you know, providing the weather's good, they're, they're fantastic fun to drive. I really like a Testarossa, but a lot of people are a little bit frightened by them. They're, they're a little bit more um, overtly sort of race car-ish. Okay. Um, but they're really, really good fun. But, you know, you, you probably, for instance, wouldn't want to necessarily take your girlfriend out on it. Yeah. Because um, they're quite noisy and, you know, raw. you're a bit raw. So they're, they're great. The California Spider is a much more gentle car. It's more of a Grand Tourer sort of cruiser thing. Yeah, I know that, you know, very beautiful car. I, we made them because people wanted them more than because I wanted to make it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we're we going to keep doing new things. I mean, you know, it's it's that's what makes you get up in the morning is making the next thing. <laughs> What's the next thing? The next thing is going to be our own car. So we're going to okay. do um, a very special... A new V12 engine, which we're going to make ourselves, be a really exciting car, be light, be not digital, 
great analog. Um, just an exciting thing to get into. But with creature comforts, you know, because it, it you know, the, the thing with these cars is they're fantastic. But, you know, if it's raining or it's windy or it's cold and, you know, the screen's messed up and all, all those kind of things, which, you know, when you're driving on cars, it's fine. But we want to make something that doesn't have those problems, so... Yeah. Um, what would you... How would you describe your sort of, like, perfect driving car? Like, what sort of qualities does it need to have? Well, I think I think a perfect driving car is different for different days, to be honest with you. Okay. you know, yeah, there's, okay. there's, there's nothing like you go, I want to get in that every day. You know, I think the most rounded car, old car, is probably a short wheelbase. I mean, if you think about 1960, when they came out, and all the other stuff that was around, you just go, man, they must have been like a spaceship. <laughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you think of all the things yeah. that, you know, your parents or grandparents had, and you just go... Well, I don't know. We're, we're, you know, how did these fit into this whole mix? But I think today, if it's a lovely day like today is, I think I'd go in an open car every yeah. time. Yeah, Testarossa, Jaguar D type. You know, something like sports racing cars are, are, are the best of the best. No, no question about that. But if it's a, you know, maybe not so warm, not so sunny, but decent weather, short wheelbase is great. You know, GTO is a little bit too raw, but too racy. Mm. I mean, they're fantastic fun to drive, but a bit like you said about your F40, it's 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 kind of something you go out for, for twenty or forty minutes in, and you have a great time. But that's about we kind yeah, of done. That's about it, yeah, yeah. And GTO is very like that. I mean, I, I think they're just a wonderful car to drive. But again, you know, would you want to go out for a sort of day out or a, you know drive with your, with your wife or girlfriend or whatever? Probably not. Um, yeah, I had a look in the window of one last week there was one in london like a light blue one and um i don't think i'd really looked at the interior before and it's very race car yeah like, and it feels it yeah they're noisy they're quite harsh that you know you 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 when when you've driven it for 45 minutes you feel fulfilled but quite <laughs> exhausted yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know it's one of those things where it's, you just go it's fantastic but you know and, and as I say, you know, unless you've got a real petrol head partner, probably not for her. Yeah, not for the, the long trips and, no. and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny how there's cars like that. And there aren't that many, I say that many, yeah, there aren't many cars you can buy now that deliver that experience. No. Like nothing's that raw and like visceral because it's just, it's too much weight and stuff between you and the important bits. Yeah. Yeah, weight is a huge problem in modern cars. It's a huge problem. I mean, they just don't... You can't make a heavy car feel good. No. You simply can't. And it's, it's depressing. It really <laughs> is, because, like, uh, you get caught up in all of whatever the latest, greatest thing, and you go, oh, that's probably quite good. And then, invariably, I'll, I'll go and do a track day and drive something really light. I have a Radical that weighs yeah, like yeah. 600 kilos, something like that. And you get back in any road car after something that light yep. and they're quite performance-based and you're just like, no, no. This just feels awful on track. Yeah, I mean, you can't overcome the laws of physics. I mean, they're, they're, they're there, you know, they're, they're, you, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> and people just seem to go down this weird route of like, let's say you get a new Bentley or something like that. And there'll be this technical talk about how they've put in motors to counteract the body roll 
And one thing is like, yeah, but how much did that system you just put in weigh? Yeah. To counteract the fact that it weighs a lot and more and everything just goes up and 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 up. And up. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the big problems with the hybrid, whole hybrid thing because, you know, that is just, by definition, it's just heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's mad. I mean, they can produce insane amounts of power and torque, but at the end of the day, you, you're, you're, you're driving around a tank. <laughs> yeah. And your speed limit is 60 miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, yeah. So with, with your cars, can you, let's say the, the car I drove today, can you go and compete with those? And take them on events and yep. stuff like that. Yeah, we we so we've got a car this weekend at um, Monza Historics. Just done the Tour Auto, and then it's doing Centura Rally in in Italy. That looks like a cool event, which is one. which is a really nice event. It's very very well run. The organisers are good friends of ours, and um, yeah, I'd recommend anybody to do that. It's it's a superb event. Luigi, the guy who runs it, is is a, is a lovely man, <clears throat> and. Um, you go through some beautiful places in Italy and some nice, you know, hotels and restaurants and all that stuff. It's, yeah, it's really good. So, yeah. I mean, the Gentle has kind of become what the Tour Auto was. Right. And, and no, it's, I'd recommend it to anybody. It's, it's really good. No, it does sound like a, sound like a quite, quite cool event. Yeah. If you were building yourself one of your cars, what would you build and what spec? Because I know you've got a few things you can change and do along the way yeah it's a good question i i would i would actually stick to the four speed gearbox we do offer a five speed but i i I find the four speed gearbox is fine i would go definitely for painted wheels not polished because i don't like polished wheels i have a very interesting paint color because you know red cars silver cars lovely being fun to death though but they're kind of everywhere um I'd probably have a three and a half litre engine. I might have a four litre. That's really all you need. Honestly, you know, I don't need to do anything really that special because yeah. they're just such a great thing. How does the how do the engines differ as like a driving experience between the, the three and a half and say, the four litre? The three and a half is much more drivable. It's it's got more torque and you know, I don't know how people would agree with me, but for me torque is, is almost more important than power. It's um it's a very drivable car. It, it revs very well. So with, with the four-litre engine, we increase the stroke. So it just doesn't rev quite as freely as okay. the three-and-a-half. The three-and-a-half is the same stroke as the three-litre, so it's still a bit more over-square. In other words, the, the bore is bigger than the stroke. And it just kind of hits the sweet spot. And we, we've got a few different choices of camshafts, which you you know you can... We try and tailor it to what people want to use the car for, whether it's cruising or fast road or track. Yeah. There's all those different options. We can sort of try and make it as close to what people want as, as we can. That, that for me, is all, all I really need. I don't, there's nothing more special than that I Aircon? need. No. No need. I wouldn't say there's no need, but for me, it needs to be as basic as it okay. as it should have been. Yeah. You know, I understand we sell cars to California, we sell cars to the south of France. I understand people have to have aircon. Um but it adds a fair bit of weight. How much weight does that? I reckon the aircon probably adds sixty kilos. Oh okay. Yeah. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and quite a lot of complication. You know, and, and actually the aircon is good, but it's not like you're getting in a modern Audi. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's kind of spot cooling. It's not like the whole cabin is really freezing yeah, yeah. cold because it, it would be too much to do that. And, and actually the fact that the car's drafty and, and you know, it just does, doesn't happen. But, yeah. but, you know, we do it and, and we've done a few different versions of it now. So I, I personally, I wouldn't have it. Although, you know, we had that heat wave, what was it, a week or 10 days yeah. ago. I mean, we had a few journalists here driving their cars and they came out and they were melting. But, I mean, you know, people still smiled and they were like, yeah, okay, I get it. It's really, really hot. But, but it's pretty uncomfortable. It when it's been 35 in the UK, yeah, that's not normal. That's unusual, yeah. And today it's, today it's pretty hot, actually. It's like 25 or yeah. 26 or something. And, <clears> yeah, I got warm. But that was the last thing I was thinking about driving that car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean the nice thing about the short wheelbase is, is that because we've got the perspex sliding windows, you just you just clip them out. So you just take the windows right out. And yeah. You can put them. You can put them underneath the passenger seat, um, and you can just drive with no windows, and, and they keep cooling. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And you just get that noise. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. No, it's, <laughs> it's just fun. It is. It is fun. With your the tool built car, like you. Can you tell the difference? Obviously, you, I'm guessing you can tell the difference, but if they're like exactly the same, is it difficult to tell the difference? Or is it just yeah, they I look th- newer? I think it is difficult. I mean, you'll get all sorts of keyboard warriors saying there's this and that that, that are wrong and right with them. But, you know, we, we've got, you know, you probably don't know if you saw it in the workshop, we've got a picture up on the wall with seven short wheelbases all lined up outside our old place, actually. Yeah. And um, they're all different from each other. And we yeah. know very well that because we've measured, you know, we're probably the only people in the world who actually measured loads of cars because we needed to. And the differences are staggering, <laughs> just staggering. You know, the steering was in, in, you know, the steering columns two inches in a different place. And, wow. And, and you just go, well, that's incredible, you know. It just depended <laughs> if it was Luigi or Piero or, you know, who yeah, it was yeah. who made it. And How many glasses of wine uh, Yeah, how much Lambrusco they'd had, yeah. yeah <laughs> absolutely, yeah. No, that is... That is such a, an interesting point. Does that does that lead to problems when you're making the parts? Because different cars stuff doesn't I think, quite fit. I think making body parts is without a car is impossible. Mechanical parts are okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, if you I know 
if you want to get, let's just say you want to get your car PPF nowadays, so paint protection yeah, yeah. film and stuff like that. All of this sort of era of car, they're like, mm, yeah, they're, they're all, all the panels are all different. Every yeah. single car, we have to like redo it. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, in, with the short base, there's like six or seven different sort of actually set out versions. People have actually written papers on this, which, okay. is, which is quite interesting. But actually, there's many more than that. Yeah, there's, yeah. every car's slightly different. We've restored yeah, many, many cars, and and they're all they're all different, which is part of the charm. Yeah, when you're restoring <clears throat> a car, what's the what's the sort of process? What's the most and what's the most sort of complicated bit of it? Well, I think the, the first thing is is to evaluate what the, what the car is that you that you start off with. You know, is is it is it basically a good car that's not got too much corrosion? Or, or does it need everything, you know? So the first decision, one of the first decisions is, do you need to take the body off the car? Okay. Because if you need to take the body off the chassis, that's quite a, a big step. So you, you try and avoid that if you can. But, you know, you, you need to... The, the body and chassis bit of the process is probably the longest and most painstaking. But, you know, the, the, what you've got to remember also is, is that these cars have now been around for, for you know, 60, 70 years... And been already overhauled and rebuilt multiple times, yeah. so you're actually dealing with not with the, with the Ferrari that, that Ferrari made, but with the car that other people have messed with so many times in between. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why making a reproduction car is such a good idea because you actually it's a bit like it's a bit like rebuilding a really old house that everyone's done lots of bad repairs okay, on. Yeah. Just damage it's, control. Like it's just like. it's just hard work. You know, we've had people who've <clears throat> and they've come to us with with engines to rebuild, which we do all the time. And and actually, you say you'd be better off having a new engine because it's that you're basically you've got a f- the, the whole structure, the integrity of the thing's gone. Yeah, because presumably um, every time you rebuild it, you lose a little bit of the engine. Well, you do, and of course, the thing is, these cars weren't always worth. Multiple millions of pounds, yeah. you know, so people were doing things on the cheap and trying to cut corners and maybe you got a car dealer who was trying to move the car on at a profit and wanted to spend as little yeah. as possible. All those things have happened in the car's history. So, you know, you, you have got um, all those problems to deal with. Yeah. Do you keep track of all the cars that have come through and things that have been done to them and a bit of a file on each, like? Yeah, we do, we do, we do keep a file on every car, yeah. See, see what's yep. been done to it. And yeah, we tr- we try and trace history as much as we can. I mean, even even for cars we don't do, we just try and keep it on where things are and what's happening to them. Is that quite an easy thing to do or difficult? It's a lot easier now. There's the internet. It's a lot easier. I mean, we had lots of very good friends who are historians. Most of them sadly have passed on now, but. Um, we were good friends with a lot of those people and we, we got a lot of information from them while they were still around. So, yeah. I, I, it's an interesting... It's, all, it's kind of a thing. Do we need to do it? We probably don't, but it's just fun. Yeah, and it's like... These cars, at the end of the day, yes, it's, it's a bit of metal and whatever that delivers a great experience, but it is, it is interesting seeing who's owned them, what's been done with them, <clears throat> pictures from the past, yeah, all of the stories... Like that is that is something that's great about classic cars or just older cars. It's, it's, they can have all of these cool stories. 
or not so cool stories, depending on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, the people are as, are as much fun as the cars. You yeah. Know? We we over lockdown, <clears throat> I went through all my old photos, you know, printed photos because I was trying to sort them out because you were kind of. I had to get out of the house and do yeah. something. And it was fascinating going through them and just remembering the people and, and all the stories that went with the cars. And it was it was just a really good experience. I mean, it wasn't something I would have chosen to do because no one wanted to have lockdown, but it was actually a really good way to spend the time and, and sort stuff out. Have you got any particular favourite people you've met or things you've done with the cars? Oh, yeah, but there's, I mean, so many people, so so many really good people. I mean, and they've been really good fun. And you know, we we, we were good. I was good friends with Ralph Lauren for a while. We did some cars for him. He was a really nice guy. <clears throat> got to know him fairly well, and he got to know my family. And you know, people like that. He just he was a very warm guy. He wasn't you know pe- people look at him as some incredibly famous you know guy, but he was actually a very normal person. Yeah. That's that's something that I I love about let's say doing these podcasts and whatever or just it's just meeting different people and getting to chat to them about whatever and all of these people people they some people get sort of put up on this pedestal for whatever reason they've they've done something super successful or whatever but at the end of the day you just chat to them and they're normal people yeah and you can just chat about whatever you want and there's something quite disarming I think about doing a podcast. People will just generally answer questions because you're having a conversation. That's what people do. But I think a lot of people sort of hide and they feel like, oh, I can't ask this person this question. Okay, if you've just met someone, don't ask them something really weird. But like, you've chatted to someone for an hour or whatever and you've got something you want to ask. That's probably more interesting than just skirting around everything else the entire time. Yeah, I mean, some of the old racing drivers are just terrific characters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just... You know, and and you could just you just spend a bit of time with them, and it's just such fun. I mean, it's just you know you you can't buy that sort of thing. No, and I imagine a lot of yeah, like the older racing drivers. It's just a different era. Like to be a racing driver now, it's just different. Like it's way more sort of serious. Like the idea of people, you know, going down the pub and then going for a race the next day or that afternoon or whatever. Like. Just yeah. seems ludicrous, but these larger than life characters, which I think you had to be at that point in time when you're really are putting your life like yeah properly on the line the entire time. Interesting days. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we spend a bit. Of, David Piper lives quite near here, and he's he comes here a fair bit, and he's just one of those people that you just he's just a fun guy, you know, and he still remembers, and his wife's brilliant, and you know they they just can tell you all sorts of stories of things that you today you think oh, did that really happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah even i'm just saying like back in the day you used to go out at the early hours of the morning to go and test road test cars like presumably that's a bit more tricky nowadays well it's not more tricky but you know you've got dynamometers now you've got you know you've got all the you've got so many different ways of, of testing cars but in those days Really, the only way to do was simply go out and drive them. Yeah. Um, Did you get quite good at picking up small little things? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a lot of fun too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it sounds like it. Um, one of the things you do is you do event support and race prep and stuff like that. 
Yeah, we do. We do. We do race prep mainly for people that we really like. We get on well with, and we can. And it's good. It's good for my staff. Right. I do. The, I try and do the things they like doing because okay. it's important to me that they have a good time. Yeah. Racing and race events is not a good business model. It's almost impossible to make money out of it. But you know, if it, if it, if 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 you get some exposure, if the staff like it, and you know, you don't lose money. Yeah, and it's quite a, it's quite a fun thing, yeah, to do for everyone. I've yeah. always found when you look at I do a bit of racing and you look at the bills and you're like, I just don't I don't understand how something overall costs so much, but actually when you break it down, nothing seems like it's that expensive. Like I don't look at the how much let's say it's, as someone's doing a support package and they're coming to help out and you've got like four guys working on the car or whatever. And you're like, well, I'm not paying these people that much money, but it just at the end of the day comes out as yep. it mounts up. as a big bill. Yeah. Quite often tires and stuff like that, yep. but it's all, it's all sort of mad, but good fun. Do you, something that I've always seen when I've seen people racing, they might be racing a I don't know, 250 LM or, or something like that. And you go, okay, they're racing a 10 million pound car whatever. What happens if they stuff it? Now, presumably it doesn't cost 10 million pounds to rebuild that car, but that must vary quite a lot. Well, I think that's changed a lot in the last 10 years. I mean, people were racing those cars. Are they now? Scarcely really. Yeah. Um, people will generally build another car, a replica car. The, the problem is not the cost of the repair. It's the, it's the fact that, especially in this day and age with the internet, everybody knows that car's had a big accident. Yeah. And it's sort of, it, it's it's in its history. So when you come to sell the car or, you know, whatever, it's like, oh, that's the car that so-and-so went off at Goodwood in or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's, a, you know, it's obviously a bit of a red mark in, in the car's history. Yeah, and these things are getting so, not getting, they are, it's so valuable now. It, to to race an original, I mean that's pretty, it's pretty ballsy, and you've got to be pretty wealthy to be playing that game. I guess so, but it just seems a shame they're not getting used. I just think it's yeah. such a shame that cars are not getting used. Now we we had a funnily enough with a, a, a GTR two fifty GTR and a Testarossa here last week, original cars, both of them, and we took them up the road, and everyone's going. What? Driving those cars, and I said, "Well, it's a car. That's what it's for." <laughs> you know, why wouldn't you? So, yeah, it's um, it's kind of they kind of lost their the, the it's all gone wrong because people just look at them as art objects. Or whatever. No, they're a car. They should. No, the reason they're valuable is because they're a good car. Yeah, that, that's the only reason they're valuable. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's got good history, but you've just got to get over some of that stuff and and drive it. I know, and I I wish. I wish I could have a switch in my brain when I'm driving something that I'm basically like, well, I couldn't afford, I can't afford to bend this sort of thing that just goes off and then it's just a car. It'd be great to be able to sort of just appreciate cars as just as a car and remove the value because it does, if you're driving something that's really expensive, you're aware. Yeah, you kind of are, but if you do it a lot, you okay. it, it, it sort of... You become it's just like it just is another car. Yeah. Well I guess you get to drive a lot of 
Yeah, we're, 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 we're fortunate we do here. I mean, it's not just me at the staff too, and we're careful. Of course, we're very careful, very respectful. But you, you, you know, it's what they're for. Yeah, it is. And these, it's like you said, it's a shame if things get too valuable and people don't go and do road trips and yeah, it's a terrible shame. All that and use them and see them out about and they just sit in some warehouse somewhere never yeah. to be seen again. No, it's really sad. We've got a guy, he's a really nice older guy now, but we've been looking after him for probably 20 years and he's got a fantastic comp short wheelbase, probably the best car there is. Mm. And he, he just drives it to the cricket club, parks it outside and, you know, he, he's, he's he's had it for such a long time. He's very relaxed about it. And like, that's the way it should be. I mean, why, you know, people are just being so stupid about it. Yeah. That is what it's... And then you get... Like every now and then, so you'll see a video of someone, I don't know, like doing donuts in some sort of competition-y type vehicle, whether it's an F50 or whatever. And you'll get a whole bunch of keyboard warriors be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're doing... It's like, yeah. no, it's like, this, this is way less stress on that car than driving yeah. it around a racetrack. Yeah. And it's what you should do. Like, you should, you should put a smile on your face. Yeah, I mean, it should do. And, they, they, you know, we, I drove a short wheelbase, a, a real car, the other day to an event, and everyone's like, you've driven it here? And I said, well, well why not? <laughs> How else are they going to get here? Yeah, oh, shouldn't you bring in a truck? And I said, no. Nah. I just got in the car with Charlotte and we drove it there. And it was just like, it's just a normal thing to do. Yeah. And I like how these older cars, like how many short wheelbases are there? 160, just over, yeah. Oh, something, okay. And... Mileage on those cars presumably doesn't matter. And that is the bet. Like, if you can have a car where the mileage doesn't matter, we've seems to have got this thing nowadays where mileage is really matters on, like, modern Ferraris oh. and stuff. And it makes them it makes them basically undrivable. Yep. Because you just are so aware of how many pounds it's going to cost to drive, like, one mile. Yep. Yeah, I had an FF for a while. And everyone just kept saying to me, look at the miles now. And I'm going, well, I was using it every day. And, and you know, I just sold yeah. it at the end because I was like, if, if, it's that, if it's that sensitive to being used, then I'll, need to, I'll just buy another car. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like this, and I don't know why some cars are like that or whether it'll get to, we'll get to a point where the cars are old enough. But I don't know. With like 40s and 50s and stuff, there's, there's, a, there's quite a, not, a, not tons of cars, but there's quite a lot of cars. So you can always distinguish the some moron that's got a thirty mile Enzo or whatever, and you're like, okay, fine. If it's an investment, whatever. But like, you can't drive it. No, you literally can't drive that thing. So you you need to buy two. Yeah, yeah. We had a guy come here the other day, and he came he came from Holland, and um, he arrived in a LaFerrari, and I said, "Oh, where did you pick that up from?" He said, "No, no, I've driven it from Holland." Nice. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, I've done 15,000 miles on it. He said, why wouldn't you? <laughs> so, you know, there are still some proper people around. That's so good. Yeah. That is so good. And <clears throat> it, that car, for example, is a perfect example. If, if you got it from new, that is the car to be driving all the time because it's always worth more than you paid for it. Yeah. So you're always yeah. in the money. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Whereas if you buy a car that's very expensive and then if you drive it, it goes down in value, that's a, that's a rubbish situation to be yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. You want to be able to have the... But then people people seem to flip it and they go, yeah, but I, I better not drive that car because it'll 
you know, it will lose some of the value that I haven't realised I will only get when I sell it. Yeah, but it's about people buying cars for the wrong reasons. That's 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 really what it's about. Yeah, and and you get it's people are entitled to buy cars for whatever reason they like. Like, fair enough. I just love it, like you say, when you meet someone that's like, I've done fifteen thousand miles in my life, or whatever. Like any car that's just remotely would be frowned upon by some people. That's just the best thing. Yeah, I met a guy a while ago now. Two years ago, maybe. And he'd he'd just bought... He'd owned a 288 GTO at one point, sold it, and then found it again. And it hadn't done that many miles, like 5,000 miles or something. And he bought it again. And then was just doing everything with it. Yeah. Like, like the next day, he was at Silverstone doing a track day. And then a week later, he was at Spa doing a track day. He was like, this is, I'm just going to... I'm going to use it. Fun, like, yeah. great. And you're like, oh. Fair play, right that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, we, 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 I used to have a bit to a guy called Jess Pore, he probably don't know him, he's a, he's a, he's a Ferrari writer, historian, mm. he's recently passed away, but he had a 250 GTO, he used it every day for work. Sick. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, he said, well, why wouldn't you? You know, it's just, it was a fantastic car. <laughs> so good, so yeah. good. I love that stuff. Right, well, I normally wrap these up with five questions. Okay, I'll try. Okay. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? I think the most, I mean, there's quite a few, to be honest with you, but one of the most memorable trips we, we did was, was in the 375 Plus, which is a 4.9-litre V12 sports racing car, wonderful car. Um, and we, we were driving it late one night, and um, we got stuck, fun enough, you'll know where it is, but we got stuck in Richmond with it in the middle of a party at like 2am in the morning and it was just one of those things you just don't forget. We were we were just road testing this car and we drove into this street party and it was like, oh, here we go. So we just parked it up and <laughs> had some fun. So it was, we'd done a few things like that, but it was, yeah, that was really, that was a really cool That's experience. We, we had another one where we did a, we were, we were driving, we were road testing LM Daytonas up the A41, which is a really good road for road testing. It's very straight, it's not, I mean, we were doing flat-out tests. We were going about 180 miles an hour. And um, we were driving up there, and there was a car on fire on the other side of the carriageway. So we locked up the car, stopped the car. We had fire, we always had, one of the things I was always fussy about was having fire extinguishers because there's one thing you don't want to have happen is, is a car gets fire. Yeah. So we raced across the carriageway, and there's a young black girl in this car. It was very early in the morning. We put this fire out for it. It was just one. Of, it's just things like that stick in your mind. Yeah, that's so, must have felt pretty good that day. Yeah, you yeah, know, it was it was one of those days you felt like you'd done something for somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's pretty fun. Okay, five car garage, unlimited value. It's got to sort of fit into your life. Yeah, I think you need one closed car. I would, I would, I would probably have a short wheelbase as a closed car. I think the rest would probably be open cars. I'd have a Jaguar D Type, mm-hmm. long, long nose D Type. One of the best cars of all time. What I, do you specifically like about that? Fantastic handling car. Very, you know, the to- engine's got so much torque. Um, sounds great. Looks beautiful. There's nothing to dislike about D-Type. Testarossa. Um, probably something like a 335S or a 412 Mi, which is a sports racing Ferrari. 
And then probably one, you know, stupid car, sort of, I don't know, Rolls-Royce Corniche or something. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Convertible. To, to, to waft around it. Yeah, just, just for when you just want to go out for a picnic. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, fair. <laughs> it's a good bunch. Next question, sort of leads on for that one. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life. Does it have to be an everyday car or can it just be a fun car? It can, oh yeah, you're allowed like a £500 thing on the side. So this is a fun car. So this, this can be a fun... that's different. You know, if I, if, I, if, I, if I chose a fun car, it was not something I want to drive to work necessarily. It's, 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 it's got to be that sort of blend of... Well, okay, no, that, the, the caveat is you've got £500 to have on another car and then you've got this car and those are your only cars. Okay. I think it would be a short wheelbase. I'm, I'm, I'm probably biased, but I've, <laughs> I've kind of driven most things and they yeah. are... They kind of do everything. Yeah. They really do. I mean, they're very, very usable. You know, the only time you probably wouldn't want to jump in if it's an ice-cold morning with frost and, yeah. you know, maybe foggy or whatever, you, it's kind of, it's, that's difficult. But apart from that, you just drive it. Fair play, yeah. Well, sounds like a pretty great car to be driving most of the time. <clears throat> yeah. What do you think is, what's an undervalued car at the moment? What do you think should be worth more or is particularly cheap? Personally, I think an F40. You're Fair. You're going to like, <laughs> like to hear me say that. I just think they're a fantastic car. You know, in 20 years' time, everyone's going to, you know, you look at, I know they're not the same, but you look at McLaren F1s and what's, I know they're much lower volume and all those sort of things, but what else? I suppose I tend to think in the Ferrari market rather yeah. than, than the broad spectrum, so I'm, I'm probably thinking more about that. I think a GTC, actually. 330 or 365 GTC, I yeah. think they're I think they're, really, they're such a great car. You know, probably should have answered that earlier in the question but or early in the programme, but if I wanted to go out for a day in a Ferrari with my girlfriend or wife or whatever, yeah. GTC is a perfect car. Really great car to drive. Yeah. It's, well, a, it's a cruiser, it's not a sports car. But then you get that, all the things that that brings as well. Like, yeah, yeah. You could take a passenger out and... Yeah, some luggage it's in got it a proper whatever. boot and it's it's quiet and refined and you know for 1967 or whatever. My word, you know, look at all the other stuff that was on the market. Yeah, no, pretty cool, sweet. Right, final question: What's the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you looking up, googling, going, oh, that's interesting. New cars or old cars? One or the other, doesn't matter. I think. I'm I'm very interested in what people are making okay. today yeah. because we we like to make things. So so when people come up with something, you go, oh, I, I'm I don't think it's a car I'd ever want to own, but I think the Gordon Murray car is is very cool. It's very cool. Um, and I'd I'd love to have a really good look round one. I think we're going to take some cues from that for our new car. Yeah, but it'll our, our car will be much more analog than that is that's because that is you know quite digital yeah modern um, car. but it's very exciting and of all the things that have come out in the last I don't know, quite a long time that to me just just the ethos of like i want to make the best road driving experience just yeah and without it being a hypercar 
you know, he's just stuck two fingers up at all that stuff yeah. and just gone, oh, I'm going to make a proper car. I'm just going to make, a, what do I need? Three pedals, a V12. Yeah, it needs to be lightweight. And that's about it, really. Like, for me, if I, if I could have one, I would totally, yeah. if I had the money, I'd totally have one. Yeah, I, he, it's, 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 you know, he's a very clever guy and he's, he's obviously made some amazing things and, and I, you can't help admiring him. I just hope that people will use them. That's the thing that I feel sad about is, you know, I feel you may get a bunch of, you know, look at Rowan Atkinson, you know, he drove an F1 McLaren, you know, yeah. smashed it a couple of times, used it, did loads of miles in it. You think that's, what, that's, what, that's how it should be. Yeah. Um, these, these trailer queens or whatever you want to call them, it's just the wrong way to go. I think there will be, I think we'll definitely, there will definitely be people that will use them. Um, Good. Funnily enough, I know the guy that, bought that Rowan Atkinson car okay. afterwards um, and he uses it and he, yeah. he like, just he uses all of the cars and I'm sure he will have one of these Gordon Murray things coming on and he, he will use it and you're like yeah this is what it's all about like, it is it really I mean you know you, you admire the styling you admire the, the design you know, some of the stuff is, is ingenious but you just go but that should be applied you, know, you should be able to enjoy that use it and, and that design specifically it, the whole point of the car is it's designed to be used. Yeah. And it's got luggage and you yep. can take some mates along. Whereas, like, uh, okay, like a modern Ferrari that's just come out, the SF90. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have any luggage space whatsoever. You're like, oh, it's like a thousand horsepower. Like, you've got, you can't even put a bag in that car. Yeah. So where are you going to take it? Yeah. Like, pub? That's about it. You, know, you should be going to you should be going to Monaco in it. Yeah, you know, you should just, be doing an just, Alps tour. Yeah, just get in it. Take your partner, friend, girlfriend, wherever it is. Go have some fun. Yeah, put some like it does my head in that some cars don't have enough luggage space no. to use, and it to me it makes them unusable. Yeah, like oh yeah, well if you've got enough money to have that car, you've got enough money to have someone drive around behind you in a. That's not fun. Nah. That's really rubbish. That's awful. <laughs> it's just awful, yeah. Or that thing you go, you're going on a road trip with some mates and someone's like, oh, can I just put a bag in your car? No. <laughs> I, my car's already got enough weight in it, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I wanted more luggage, I would have packed it. Yeah. No, it's um, no, it's, it's a cool thing. I think that, that Gordon Murray car sounds yeah, interesting. No, it's going to be it's gonna be exciting, yeah. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Sam. It was nice to meet you and see you around this this site and and drive the car. Phenomenal. Good. Phenomenal, thank you. Glad you enjoyed it. Cool. Good. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.